0: Welcome back to I'd Rather Be at the Beach, brought to you by me, I'm Simon Jones, and I run the Bonshaw Agency. If you work in an independent school, then this is the podcast for you, where we don't talk about work, but we do talk to people who work in the independent school sector. Now, today we're zipping over to the Middle East to speak to David Ardley, he's the founding principal of a new school in Saudi Arabia. The school is Beach Hall School Riyadh and it opened last August. So I'm about to ask him what it's like being a British person working in a school overseas, what his own background is like, how that helped him to have an open mindset for living in a different country, I ask him about The Line, a mega construction project that's just started in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and we talk about much, much more. This is a great episode. I think you're going to love it. So come with me as we jump on a flight and we head out to Riyadh for today's podcast. It's David Ardley. David, thank you for being here and welcome to I'd Rather Be at the Beach. How are you today? Very well, Simon. Absolute pleasure
1: to be here with you today.
0: Well, it's good to talk to you. And um, it's funny actually being called I'd Rather Be at the Beach because Riyadh, you're, you're not really close to the beach as such are
1: you i haven't seen much sand at all since i've been here to be honest with you simon <laughs> so uh, it's a it, it's a very good thing but um yes there's, there is sand somewhere around here most of it in the air i think
0: david just for the sake of people listening tell us what you do and how long you've been doing it for
1: okay simon thank you i'm uh i've been in education for 38 years now i think nine schools, three countries. And I'm now currently a founding principal at a school in Riyadh in uh, the wonderful kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And I've been here for about five, six months now.
0: OK, so this is this is a brand new school. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yeah. Brand new school. It opened in August. It's part of the Chatsworth Stroke Blenheim Schools Group in the UK. Uh, and we opened in August of 2022. Brand new school, brand new build, brand new staff, brand new principal. Awesome. Awesome. Now,
0: this is the podcast where we don't talk about work because really the idea of this is that people listening to this, they're, they're probably walking the dog at the weekend and that kind of thing. And really, they, they don't want to hear about work. But nevertheless, I think people are interested in what it's like to work in a school which is a brand new school. So without talking too much about, you know, I don't know how many acres of grounds you've got in the school. Tell me a little bit about what it is like to work in a, in a brand
1: new school. I've been very lucky, really, Simon. I think it's uh, this is my third uh, brand new build that I've been involved with. My first as a, a kind of leader, as a principal in in it. But two previous new build schools I've been involved with: uh, one in France, uh, one in Switzerland, and now here. The most amazing thing about these types of projects is the is the pioneering nature of all the staff that come on board and on board with these projects. The ones that uh, we're all in the same boat. We're in, you know, new culture, quite often, new country, new people. Uh, and it's not just the adults; it's the kids as well, obviously coming into your school. But the, the essence of this, I think, the pioneering nature people who come into these projects uh, and come into these projects, especially to travel overseas, have the same mindset, I think, in, that, in in a way. There's not a there's not a predetermined kind of mindset that they apply to this. It's basically we're all in the same boat. We want the school to be the best that it can be given everything we've got. And so we're all, we all get stuck in. And, and there isn't there's never been, from my experience, a plan that goes to hand, so to speak, there are always obstacles things to, to you know to sort out problem solving and as a design technology teacher by trade i love that it's the it's working out how to, to get the best out of it but for me i think the pioneering aspect is the most important one and then obviously you've got the value that you're bringing into wherever your school uh, is being established and where you're developing it that for me is also fundamental to this because at the end of the day you're you're bringing your passion for education with your team of people to the local community where you're building that school and that for me is something you it's very difficult to to put into words until you've actually experienced it uh but it's a wonderful wonderful experience and a fantastic feeling
0: and then the staff that you recruit are they generally from saudi arabia or do you recruit staff from the uk who then move across
1: yeah it's a good question we we have um the majority of our staff are are, have been employed from saudi from the locality here either in international schools you know and come come across to us uh, the, there are some of us in the in the leadership who have come in from overseas, uh, from UAE, from Bar, uh, Bahrain, from Dubai and myself from Switzerland. Um, but the rest of our team actually are here. We've got a couple who've been overseas in international schools. I think there's uh, a Canadian, a, a Saudi guy who was in Canada and has come over to us back to Saudi, um, a couple from the Philippines. So... Yeah, but the majority of our staff are are here. And one of the, we won't talk too much about it, but we're tied with the Ministry of Education too here in Saudi. So it's very important for us to have that Saudization kind of element to it. So we get, you know, get local professionals into work uh, in our school. And, and it's a wonderful, wonderful team of people that we've got together here.
0: Okay. So some of the people listening to this are going to be based in, well, I imagine the majority of the people listening to this right now are going to be based in the UK, probably working for a British school in the UK as well actually regardless where somebody is living or working would you encourage people to explore the concept of working
1: outside of your home country it's a good time to chat about this Actually, yes i would the answer question yeah absolutely i think you've there's always a risk there's always an element of i've got family here or i've got commitments here or you know what if that doesn't work or something for myself, for example, I'm, I'm slightly different in a way, I suppose, because I'm like a third culture kid. Although I was born in the UK, at an early age we went we went overseas. Uh, ended up in Hong Kong for a lot of my school career, so I was educated in Hong Kong. My parents travelled internationally, both British. So the idea of getting on a plane and going to another country, another culture, has never been something which has stopped me from doing it. My wife is French. Our home is in Toulouse. So we, we already have that mindset of, yeah, why not? Let's have a go. And we've always been the same, even though we've got grown up daughters now, we, change, we tend to change countries and change schools based on what the best for our kids were at the time. You know What schools did they need? What did they need to do? It wasn't just about our own professional challenge. So my mindset on this has always been, yeah, let's have a go. You know, And the jobs that have come up in my career so far have been very lucky. You get approached, you get asked, you consider it. You said, yeah, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you come back a year later and if you're back at base again, no big deal. So I think the mindset is do it. And coming back to your question, if anyone gets an opportunity to try it, absolutely. But go in with your eyes wide open, you know, do your due diligence. You know, check the school, check its heritage, check the back, you know, the the kind of the, the the foundation stones behind the school in terms of security, not just financial, but the whole thing. And also, you know, check the culture. You know, I, I remember working in a school in Switzerland in a beautiful part of Switzerland up in the Swiss Alps near Saint Moritz. And we had somebody who joined us from Cairo expecting there's going to be that kind of nightlife and everything else that's going on. No, it, it, that wasn't. You know, and It doesn't matter what you say, and what you portray. There are still certain things you need to look into and make sure that it is the right culture, climate, you know, place for you to be. Yeah. So I think I'd encourage anyone, anyone to do it.
0: Yeah. Do you think that if your parents hadn't been international travellers when you were growing up, that you'd be so open to the idea of
1: traveling and living in a different country now i think so because i'm i'm that my mindset is like that i think and I, i'm not i've never been worried about not England is my home for sure. You know, in terms in, in terms of uh, where I was born, Hong Kong in the heart is my home, from where I grew up and spent all those you know glorious teenage years and everything else, and all the highs, the lows, the goods, the bads so that you get up to as a as, as somebody growing up in a in a pretty vibrant city. And France is actually my home, bricks and mortar. My wife is French, and that's we've you know we've had our home there for twenty odd years now. I think in Toulouse, so again slightly unusual i think but i for me as a person knowing myself yeah i i would always step over and have a look because as i said the worst that happens is you come back to base it's a bit like a game of rugby for me you've got a gain line you you know get over the gain line that's good but if something doesn't quite work out you come back to where you started which isn't great but it's not a bad place to be that's the mindset I have on this.
0: Now, culture is a word that you've mentioned at least three times that I've heard and quite possibly more so far in this recording. Uh, and I can see you smiling here because for <laughs> the sake of anyone listening, we're recording this online. We can see each other, but but we only capture the audio. Now, earlier today, I recorded a podcast with uh, with a school in East London and I was talking to the head and he was giving an opinion that maybe the future or one aspect of the future of education is that we we don't so much focus on teaching children languages, we focus more on teaching them culture. His rationale behind this, uh, and and it was more of an idea than anything else, but the rationale was was that technology is advancing to the stage where you can already have a device between two people who speak a different language, which will translate that language almost in real time, a bit like the Babelfish in... Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, if anyone's listening and remembers that. Therefore, there's more of a need to teach people about different cultures and how to get on with people in different countries and from different backgrounds, as opposed to teaching something where actually technology can plug that gap. I'd love to know what your thoughts are on that.
1: You've, you've hit a, a good point with me, Simon. I don't like technology as a term, and there's reasons for that. As a design teacher, all my career, there's always been this focus on technology and da-da-da-da. Technology is just a tool for, for what we do, but my where I come from on, on design education and certainly from a school aspect is anthropology. It's that it's that social side of humankind because Ooh. that for me is, it's, we come into culture, but at the end of the day, I get very frustrated with STEM and STEAM, for example, because it kind of, it puts on a pedestal certain subjects and kind of doesn't isolate, but your languages, your humanities, you know, it, it go on the side burner. I'm biased with, with bilingual children of my own as a parent, let alone the schools I've worked in. But, you know, languages, understanding the history of country, uh, and that's geography and history. It's not just about glaciers and, you know, World War I and those two subjects. But we have a responsibility, I think, as educators to talk about the, the culture of people. Uh, and anthropology for me is that driver. And the reason why I talked about design or mentioned design a, sec- a second ago, any product that's been designed has been done so in, in sympathy and support of, of a human who's using it, because unless you've, you know, it's grown out the ground or popped out a human, someone has sketched a design for that, for that particular thing. For me, most of the problems that you see in the world, natural disasters, arguably aside, are caused by people not having an understanding of each other's, dare I say, tolerance on, on anything, whether it's politics, uh, politics, faith, or what have you. And so... Mm. Understanding the culture and, and respecting co- different people's cultures and educating that into children, especially at a young age, so that they grow up, they they are um, in sympathy and support and understanding of each other's, you know, cultures, faiths, color, skin, whatever it might be. But there's harmony there as well. And so that for me is where... The social kind of, or this anthropology comes into it, you know, the study of humankind that for me far, far overshadows the use of technology. I hear a lot about chat, GBT and virtual reality. I bought my first 3D printer for a school 20 years ago or something. It's, 3D printing has been in school for 40, sorry, around 40 years, it's not a new thing, but we get caught up on this technology. And I also, from a school perspective, I suppose, and we're going off on a tangent, and I do apologize. We always talk about ed tech. Or you hear about it, but I don't hear about you know people using technology in banks and calling it bank tech or those in hospitals calling it hospital tech. So why do we hang on ed tech onto this? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's a good thing to have in support of what we do in schools, in banks, as a doctor, whatever it is. But it's not the driver. The, the, the driver is the way humans use that technology to get the best out of what they need to do. And before all of that, let's say we have a power cut tomorrow when there's fantastic James Bond films where some... Some guy in uh, in Bonjour Simon Studios just flicked a switch and turned all the electricity off. We still have to move forward and do everything that we need to do. We can't sit there and go, "Oh, I haven't got Wi-Fi or what have you." So that, for me, then comes right back down to grass grassroots in terms of humankind. How do, how do we galvanise? How do we get them together? How do we get them to work together? And that's the focus for me, and that's what good education is about. And that's not schools. That's education of people. Anthropology. You didn't expect that as an answer then, did you?
0: Uh, I, I didn't know, but it's always interesting when you ask a question about culture because you're never, you're never quite sure what the answer is going to be and where that's going to take the direction. Let's let's talk a bit about culture in Saudi Arabia. Sometimes, at least in the British press, it can get a bad reputation, especially if you're a woman. Is it actually how the British media makes it out to be or, or is it actually, you know, are, are we mis- misunderstanding
1: what it's really like out there? I mean, I think... Uh... A total misunderstanding, I think. I mean, yes, there, there's heritage in the culture. There's, you know, things that you know Saudi as a country knows that they need to improve, but the people here are wonderfully friendly. The culture is very embracing. The country is going through massive change. The kingdom has seen a lot of change in the past, you know, eighteen months, two years, and for those I've met and spoken to who've been here for five years or longer, that that rapidity of change is happening. But I think there's also a, a, a massively distorted. Uh, view which is put out by the press you know that we've we've all seen everything from you know you you look at the the prince harry thing and all of that and you know what you read what you see what 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 is given to you as what's going on there's always a hint but you've got to take i think anything that you read and see within the press with an, an element a pinch of salt for want of a better term because anything which uh which flags up something good for discussion creates debate so you buy into it and therefore you know they get their they get their returns that way, but no i think I think saudi i don 't think it gets bad press as such now, but I think there's a, so much excellence and good that goes on in this country and as I said especially about the people and the culture, <laughs> anthropology again, they are absolutely welcoming friendly it 's a wonderful place to be and it 's a really good time right now to actually be in the kingdom because of the all the change that 's happening to, to to help improve not just Saudi but to improve the global kind of position that it has, uh, not just because of oil and finances, but because they genuinely want to contribute to the way we are as a, as a people on this planet. And I think that is wonderful. And if you look at their vision for 2030 and all the different programs, I think there's 11 of them, what they're aspiring to do is outstanding. It really is. And it will not just benefiting the people here in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, it's benefiting anyone. And it's, it's very impressive.
0: One of the things we do hear about regarding what's happening in Saudi Arabia, uh, sometimes we see things about something called the line. And I don't know if anyone listening to this has heard of this, but it's this concept of a of a construction of i can't remember how tall it is I yeah know you know it's it or, 34
1: David? square kilometers i think and the aim of it is to accommodate around about eight and a half nine million people i think um in terms of, of what it is but it's actually the majority of it is below ground so if you imagine a like a crevice across the earth's surface um dropping down it's like a sub subterranean but with natural light coming through kind of uh place we have schools habitation everything and it's You know, and it's an amazing, amazing civil engineering project, let alone a kind of an idea, a dream. Uh, But they're doing it, you know, they've started and and it's very impressive. I've yet to get out to have a look at it, but I've heard one and a half or two kilometres already dug as a trench that goes down and they're looking at several schools going in there. But you know, it's nine million people are going to live in this place.
0: And they're talking about this just for the sake of anyone listening. So, so less about going up because we often hear about skyscrapers, and you know, in Dubai you have got Burj Khalifa, you got the, uh, the there's the tower in Saudi Arabia that was being built and I think was, was put on pause. But, but the idea of this, I think, is that the line goes through the desert for uh,
1: is over a hundred miles, isn't it? That's a long. That's the ultimate aim, I think. Yeah, to go to go to that kind of uh, distance because you take because of the harsh. Uh, climates you have in Saudi you know in, in certain parts of the land taking everything down underground gives you that cooling idea so the idea of having um the kind of botanical garden ideal so you can actually get a greenery growing down beneath that in in the in I don't want to say the darkness but below ground where it's cooler and they control it all all of this is it's a massive uh undertaking and a beautiful vision when it's when it's complete and it's going to be done in stages It's going to be the most amazing uh, place to visit, but also to live, I think, you know, as I said, we're talking about 9 million people living beneath, as you said, beneath the earth's um, top surface, going down, I think they go down up to a kilometre or a kilometre and a half. I don't want to say something and get the facts wrong, but it goes down a kilometre and a half. And as you said, it stretches for... Eighty kilometres, whatever it is, a hundred miles, and it's a massive, massive feat of engineering. I mean, it really does sound like some
0: kind of science fiction, you know, world where, where where there are no roads, no cars, no nothing like that, but a whole world which exists within this. Is is it glass panel as well? Is that the way it works? My
1: understanding is it does have glass paneling, but um, also I think there is infrastructure. I think there is going to be transport infrastructure there in terms of. I don't monorails or whatever it is, but some kind of means for getting backwards and forwards and so on and so forth. But it reminds me actually, do you remember um Blade Runner with Harrison Ford, the film? It came out this time, I think. I do. Just yeah. after the first Star Wars, I think. So we're talking what, 70 or oh, 78, 79, I can't remember. <laughs> but it reminds me of that kind of world without the um, you know, the hype of the of Hollywood in it, but just a genuine kind of uh, underground, but not totally underground. Um just just a large crack running through the earth's surface within which people are housed but you've got these as I said you've got these uh, microclimates within which have greenery you know water lakes I mean the, the, they've got lakes at the bottom of this that they're doing as well it's a mm. phenomenal project
0: to me it sounds like the complete opposite to where you were in the Alps in
1: Switzerland yeah it's it's kind of flipped flipped around you know being 1700 meters above the water line so to speak yeah completely different but again, that's quite rarefied as well, because where we were, you know, the, the population isn't too big. I mean, we've got, I mean, here in Riyadh, we've got a population of around about 8, 8.2 million. And by 2030, they're talking about that being around 16 million or more. Really? Yeah, wow. Doubling in seven years. And that's not just, obviously not just just from here, but that's the level of people, the levels of people coming in to support all these civil engineering projects, the architectural projects, things, you know, if you, education, transport systems, the whole thing. I mean, it's an absolute phenomenal vision. And as I said, their 2030 vision that Saudi have is probably the most inspiring project I've ever read about really, you know, and the line is only one, one small aspect of all this development that's going on because the, the above land, so to speak, the sorry, the above ground developments going on, not just in Riyadh, but over the whole of the kingdom, it's phenomenal. And you go down to the water, you know, go, go jet away, for example, or, um, it's just you know the waterfront developments and things as well, just phenomenal. So they really are uh, making an effort, and it's it's not just about tourism or education or anything else. It's just for their own people. They realise what's what can be achieved and how we can invest back. Um, sustainability is another massive issue. You know, it's um, it, it's a, it's it's a country where the sustainability has now slowly started to sink into the psyche, especially at schools level you know one of the strands in our school is about sustainability but we still have lots of these bottled waters all over the place because that's how we get the water in at the moment until we get systems in which can filter the water better so i'm going to mention that word culture again so the culture of understanding of what sustainability is about it's not just about a plastic bottle it's the whole mindset of how we deal recycle and so on and so forth that is something new to the kingdom because they they haven't had to do that to the extent that we see in europe switzerland for example uh, so that change is coming in yeah it's exciting times
0: so if anyone's listening to this right now and they fancy changing and then coming out to the middle east to work in a school in the middle east i mean dubai tends to grab a lot of the media attention but you know which which places would you look at for someone considering coming out to the middle east
1: i think you have to saudi arabia is is it's going to be the next i think to be the next kind of Kind of East, East Asian kind of explosion in terms of franchises and schools coming through because there's a demand for it. There's a demand because people r- respect the the type of education that's being developed by you know. Um, I'm not going to say British, that's a bit unfair, but there is a there is a an element of the British education is is very very good, and it is. I think most areas of education fundamentally between the UK, Australia, and some other places have. They're the bastions of what education is about. You can go back to Hansard in 1860, and all these things. You know, the three Rs were reading, writing, and rorting as in rorting a wonderful design. And they they were right at the foundation stone of education then. And all you know, you hear about your Dulwich and your Harrows, and all, and all these these schools, your Wellingtons. There is a plethora of excellence in the UK, and that excellence is not just about curriculum and teaching pedagogy. It's also it's also about I think the training that we give teachers. I think the teacher training in the UK is exceptional, but like any country at the moment, there's a hemorrhaging going on in terms of the teacher recruitment side of things. And part of that is because teachers are coming overseas. They want to, it's, and it's not just about salary anymore. You can earn, you know, you can earn good salaries moving overseas, but it's more about that balance between well-being, quality of life, work hard, play hard, you know, that that type of thing, um, and also an opportunity to explore and it, you you seen i mean i've still got it was i think last year my school in hong kong and i was there from what 72 to 80 whatever it was until last year i think was the last teacher that taught me left the school so th- that heritage of staff that stay in some of these schools we think international schooling is new it's been around for a long long time you know and um especially in you know hong kong's a very good example of it actually you know because of uh, I'm not going to say the colonial system but you know the, the, that kind of movement of, of expatriates going over to the country at the time and so there was a need for it and there's also there's lots of excellence in schools driven by you know the military because you've got a migrant population with people moving because of that role kids need educating there really is a wealth but from the UK I think the teacher teacher training the 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 quality of teach, teacher training and I I'm slightly saddened by the way it's gone because we've had to speed up the process. So you know, back in the day, everything people ha- hate saying, but back in the day, you know, so I did a four-year BEd that then got cut through three year, three years, a two-year, and then a one-year. Then you did a PGC, and then you did on in, in training. And it's not because the, the the basic reason for that is because we needed to speed up the teachers getting into the profession because there there was a shortage. There is a shortage. But to do the job well, you know, four years wasn't enough in my mind for, for a degree. Well, those four years, two years were in schools, practicing your craft, two years were doing the rhetoric and, the, you know, learning your, your knowledge, so to speak, and, and everything else that you do. So I think teachers coming into the profession now, they, they have a hard time of it. Some of them, I think, if you come coming new, because it, you, it is a baptism of fire in many ways. You're dropped in and boom, it's, it's a hard hit. And it, it's, a, it's a very challenging job. Yeah, so <laughs> I think overseas gives opportunities for balance. The biggest problem that you have in education, I think, globally is that everyone is a champion or a professional because everybody went, or the vast majority of people on the planet went to school. And so everyone says, oh, oh, well, I was at school and we did this, or I was at school and we did that. And it's probably one of the only professions where that happens. So all all, all the adults know the best. From from parents and everything else, there's, there's always that element. It's not as though if I'm you know you're lying on a on a surgery table you can't say excuse me doctor no I don't think that's the right artery to hit I think I've got a problem over on this side or I think you should do this but in education you will always have people to say well you know what when I was at school we did it that way or you know what
0: everyone has an opinion because everyone's got a connection with it
1: personally everyone is suddenly a professional and that makes it that makes it a wonderfully exciting and uh fraught <laughs> yeah bonkers bonkersville <laughs> <laughs> fraud yeah, is a good yeah, word no, exactly. i think yeah
0: david i'm keeping an eye on time we should probably bring this to a close if anyone wants to connect with you best on linkedin something like that
1: linkedin the best thing i think my profile's there my uh my email's there and the kind of you know the, the other podcasts that i've been involved with and and various things and talks that i've done and so there's that's there and then if they, if they then contact me via linkedin i can then give them my you know kind of school email or we can go from there and, and shoot the breeze from there yeah, absolutely happy to. And in terms of what you were saying, Simon, anyone is considering doing this and wants to have a chat about it, please let me know. As I said, I've been in three countries now, I've you know, seen schools you know, come and go, good and the bad, so I can at least you know, give a little bit of advice, if not uh, give a steer.
0: That's really good to hear. Well, David, let me release you back into your school.
1: Thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Simon, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to the next one at some point. Take care.
0: So that was David Ardley coming to us from Riyadh. Super good to speak to him on a Tuesday afternoon. Actually, it's the evening for David, so a special thank you for that too. You can connect with him online. Links are in the show notes. Now, if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, then do just drop me an email. I'm simon at thebonjouragency.com com. We make podcasts for school marketing to help connect you with your school community, to drive up new inquiries from prospective parents. To find out more, just check out our website, thebonjouragency.com, or you can give me a call on 020-7858-2246. That's a direct line straight through to me. But in the meantime, the next episode is coming out soon, so click that option to follow or subscribe, and it just means you won't miss it. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.